When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I get very frustrated because I'm acting for a client, they're buying a property, etc. And the next thing is I'm getting uh, emails. Uh, the estate agent said, or the mortgage broker said, or whatever, you need to be very, very careful of what people are actually telling you. Sorry, before we start the podcast, if you're a regular listener and you're enjoying the content, please, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. These um, really help us to keep going with the content, they help us be found by more people, and they'll cost you absolutely nothing. So, welcome to the next episode of the Get In Our Home series. This is the series designed to help home builders, homeowners and renovators to get inspiration and guidance from industry professionals and also homeowners themselves. My name is Peter Kilmartin and in this episode we travel to County Mead to meet Terry from Terry Gorey Solicitors. This is another episode a part of our professional series where we talk to industry professionals about their area of expertise and we ask all the common questions so you don't have to. It's like a fact of life that at some stage in life you'll need a solicitor. Well, if you don't have one in the family, or even if you do, how do you go about getting them? What do you say? What should you know beforehand? How do they calculate their fees? What is their role on my home build? This episode is literally probably one of the most important ones we've produced so far. Without a solicitor, no house will be built or bought in the country. Terry is such a straight talker. He doesn't beat around the bush, and he definitely says it how it is. Don't forget that you can also see Terry and all the other professionals we filmed on the Get In Our Home YouTube channel. So... I started by asking Terry to give us a quick intro into who he is and what he's all about. My name is Terry Gorry, G-O-R-R-Y. I'm a solicitor uh, with my own solicitor's practice in Enfield in County Mead. Small solicitor's practice, I'm a sole practitioner. Do quite a bit of property and conveyancing and uh, property law and that sort of thing. And what does a solicitor do? Well, a solicitor in the context of a property transaction, if he or she is acting for a purchaser, the job is to get good title for the client. So you want to ensure that the property to which you're buying or which your client is buying is getting good title and that everything is in order from the point of view of uh, planning permission, uh, certificates of compliance and so on. Obviously, if there's a bank involved then as well, we're going to have to give an undertaking to the bank to get good title because the bank is going to want to charge on the property, get a mortgage registered on the folio and they want good title. And the reason for that is because if they have to, God forbid, repossess the property in a few years' time, they want to be uh, ensured that they can actually sell the property. If there's a problem with the property, if you don't have good title, if there's a problem with planning, then the bank is going to come after me and say, look, you gave us an undertaking back in 2022 
to get good title. Now we can't sell the bloody thing because there's uh, an extension built out the back there and there was no planning permission obtained or whatever. There's a dormer uh, conversion to, uh, after being carried out and it's not habitable space. And we've lent money on this place. There's supposed to be five bedrooms. In fact, there's only three. Yeah. So that's yeah. where the solicitor comes in. The solicitor is there to protect though, the client essentially to get a good title to the property and ensure to buy a decent property that's going to stand the test of time and be a decent investment as well, you know, as well as a home. What um, advice would you give to people that are about, most of our viewers or listeners are um, in the process of building a house or renovating a house? Mm. What advice would you give to somebody, a young couple that are about to start building a house? Should they be talking to a solicitor quite early if they are acquiring land from family members and they're going down that whole route? What's the, what's the advice well, there, Terry? if a young couple are building a house, they're either buying a site or getting a site perhaps from a parent or a grandparent yeah. or no Most cases land. they're receiving land. Is, yeah, they is may be I'm... receiving a land. Well, they're going to need then uh, a solicitor at that stage in order to register the transfer of the land, the gift as it were, from the parent or uncle or grandparent to them. They'll register that then in their name and then they'll be in a position to give the bank, the lender, uh, security over that site. And do they have to pay an inheritance tax on that there? They would, yeah, and the inheritance tax will be determined by the relationship between them and the donor of the site. So, so let's say a grandparent to... to grandparent to, do, uh, to grandchild is far less than, for example, parent to child. So at its simplest, parent to child, I think the exemption at the moment is something like 335 grand. Whereas from an uncle to a, a niece or a nephew, may only be 35 grand or thereabouts. Right. So the degree of relationship between uh, the donor and the couple that's getting the site is very, very important. But another key factor is the planning permission. Okay. When is planning permission obtained? Because clearly a site or a field with no planning permission is worth far less than one with planning permission. Oh, okay. So the smart thing to do is get the site transferred first, then get the planning permission. Because if you get planning permission first, you're going to add value enhance it and from a tax perspective that could cause you difficulties you know so so if a young couple are looking at a site and they have no planning permission yet your advice is go to your grandparents get it into your name exactly go to the yeah because you're looking at probably 30 40 grand for the site valuation whereas gets planning permission at county gildare or whatever you're looking at 50 60 grand maybe 100 grand for a site of three quarters of an acre or whatever with planning permission. And and what is the inheritance tax on that then? How does that, is that a percentage of the sale yeah, price? Yeah, I think it's 33%. Okay. I think it's 33, but most parents to daughters or sons or whatever, as I say, the exemption is 335 grand or thereabouts. So if it's so a there's no way, even with planning permission, it's not going to be an issue. Okay. But I have seen it where uh, uncles or aunts with no kids of their own might give a niece or nephew a site and then you're getting into tax situation, you know? Right, right. So they should check the tax situation. Their solicitor will advise them in any case. They're looking at capital acquisitions tax, gift tax for that, and they're looking at stamp duty. Okay, but the, the, the key here, Terry, being that the earlier in the process you get the land in your name, the better it is. Probably, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the, their loan application with the bank and so on is going to, obviously the bank will want to ensure that they are getting a charge over a particular folio or whatever. So... Uh, to do that, you must uh, transfer it to the, you know, the, the kids or to, to the young people. What about renovations? Lots of bungalows built in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s that are scattered all around the country. Young couples are now buying them and doing these big renovations. Yeah, look, it depends very much. I mean, these places, they can work out well, but they can be money pits as well. And I mean, I've done it myself. I've built from scratch. I have 
done old uh, stone cottages, black stone, there's one outside Kinnegad there between Kinnegad and Edenderry, I've done, and to be honest with you, it was an absolute money pit, you know what I mean? Uh, you have these great ideas and you're going to stay true to, to the original vernacular, and the next thing is you have a massive hole in your bloody budget. Uh, so you need to be careful. You really do need a supervising engineer or architect, uh, and you need to keep a tight, tight hold on the budget, you know? And in terms of um, solicitors, you know, is there any protection there that young couples can do to protect themselves if they are buying a property like that that might be a bit older, that might have some problems and hidden, hidden, hidden areas that they mightn't have necessarily seen? Would you well, a solicitor will check good title, etc., and all that sort of thing. But ultimately, if they're going to do some sort of renovation, it may well involve a planning application, and they'd want to be talking to an engineer or an architect just to see what will fly in Mead or Kildare or Roscommon or wherever. Uh, what's possible, what's not possible, because the, you know the sooner that they find out that, the better. A solicitor will do so much, but a lot of what the solicitor will do will be concerned with legal documents, legal title, etc. But that's not to stop uh, you know a young couple going apeshit, quite frankly, and yeah. and. Uh, you know, blowing a budget on, on, on some pipe dream. So yeah. need to be careful. Supervising architect, supervising engineer, very, very important. And ultimately, if there's money coming from a bank, a bank is going to issue stage payments on the basis of the certificates of yeah. compliance, stage payments uh, certificates from an architect engineer. And that architect or engineer, quite frankly, must have professional indemnity insurance as well. It's not just your neighbour or friend who does a bit of, uh, you know, drafting or whatever, yeah, and, and he's yeah. gone to uh, college there for a while in Carlow or someplace. Uh, with all due respect to people from Carlow and with all uh, past yeah, students. Yeah, but I know what you're saying. But yeah. no, they need professional indemnity insurance and they need to be qualified or, you know, have a qualification. So. Stamp duty. Stamp duty is 1% of the residential property. That's for second hand. Strictly speaking, for a new property, it's 1% of the VAT exclusive price of the property. Sorry, explain it to me. So for a new property, that's in a new build. Yeah, so say it's a new build and it's a new estate in Kakok or Enfield or wherever, and the house is 350 grand. Yeah. The likelihood is that that house price uh, of 350 grand includes VAT. Yeah. You don't have to pay stamp duty on VAT because that's a tax on top of a tax. Yeah. So what you do is you take the 350 grand you take off 13.5% because there's 13.5% construction cost VAT gone into that. This is only for new bills now? If yeah, it's, only if new it's, bills, yeah, yeah, only new bills, yeah. because VAT doesn't apply to the second one, or yeah. second-hand one. You take off the 13.5%, that'll give you a net figure of something like 312 grand or whatever. Yeah. Then you put 1% on that, that's your VAT, your stamp duty. So it's slightly less than for a, res a second-hand uh, property. And stamp duty is always only applied to purchases. If I am a self-builder and I self-build a house, is there any stamp duty implications there for me? No, only on the site. When you get the site from the parents or the grandparents or whatever, there's stamp duty there, all right. And even if it's a gift, you still pay um, stamp duty on the, on the value of the site. And just to be clear about that, remember, when you're getting a site, you're not getting a residential property. You're getting non-residential. So the stamp duty there is 7.5%. Okay. 7.5% as opposed to 1% for residential. So, you know. Right, so just big, be aware Big difference. Of Nothing you can do about it. I mean, you don't have the house built. Uh, you intend building a house. You intend getting planning information. But strictly speaking, the stamp duty is 7.5% of the site value. And even with plan permission, would it still be 7.5%? Yes, because it's still non-residential property. You okay. could always change your mind and decide not gonna, you're not going to yeah. build on it and put horses or whatever on it, you know. So. What are some common mistakes you see couples make before they go down the whole route of getting land, building a house buying a house are there some pitfalls there that you 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 wish that people didn't do or biggest pitfall i suppose well two pitfalls i would see that uh one not getting a structural survey carried out on a second hand house 
that doesn't apply to a new house. They needn't worry about the new house. Yeah. But on a second-hand house, uh, certainly I'd recommend a structural survey. So if I'm if I'm down the country somewhere, I'm in Cork or Kerry, and I'm looking at a house, I'm thinking that could be a good renovation. Yeah. Go to the engineer, get your structural survey, make sure everything's okay before you go pumping loads of money into something that you didn't realise was exactly. a problem there. Exactly, exactly. And you could find, and I found it myself like, you know, 25, 30 years ago, yeah. that you could spend money on surveys and not go ahead on foot of what the survey has told you. And you might be saying to yourself, Jesus, what a waste of money. But it's not a waste of money. Yeah. Because if you spend 450 or 500 quid on a survey, that prevents you from, uh, you know, 10 years of heartache with a pile of crap. It's money well spent. It's money well spent. Yeah. Do you know 100%, what I mean? 100%, yeah. Um, the other point I was going to make there is, I can't remember what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but get a structure for, yeah, no, the second point is, uh, for young couples especially, believing everything they're told, I get very frustrated because I'm acting for a client, they're buying a property, etc. And the next thing is, I'm getting uh, emails uh, the estate agent said, or the mortgage broker said, whatever, you need to be very, very careful of what people are actually telling you. In other words, when the estate agent is talking to you uh, uh, and telling you things and saying that it'll be cleared or this is included or not included, etc., the bottom line is the solicitor then turns around and issues contracts. The, the general situation is that the contract contains the terms and conditions. Yeah. And you can forget about what anybody or exactly yeah, said yeah. After, before that. And in fact, there's a special condition probably in the contract saying that you buy the house in the condition that it's in. These are the terms and conditions. And you can forget about what, you know, everybody else said. In other yeah. words, any other representations, warranties, etc. that might have been made to you, forget about them. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's frustrating because, oh, the estate agent told me, blah, blah, blah. Like, Jesus, forget about the estate agent. With all due respects to estate agents, um, you need to just be careful and not be naive. The contract is the contract. That's where it is. Rely on your solicitor. Hopefully you have a half-decent solicitor, but like most solicitors will do a bloody good job for you. But the contract is the contract, and be careful that you're not just listening to everybody going from Billy to Jack. Advice. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Yeah, that is great advice. Terry, what do I need before I come to you on the first um, occasion? If you were buying a property, I mean, I don't need much except you know confirmation from you that you're after going sale agreed. At that stage, then I need some basic anti-money laundering documentation. That's photo ID and the household bill. That's really all I need. At that stage, you're going to pay a booking deposit to an estate agent. They will then instruct the vendor's solicitor to issue contracts, which will come to me because you've just told Sorry, me. Sorry, this is in the process of buying a house. In the process of buying, yeah. yeah. And then you need to let your bank know. Uh, and so the bank then will issue the loan pack, or letter of offer and so on to me. That's all. You don't really need a solicitor at that early stage. You've gone sale agreed. You've paid a booking deposit. Uh, you're not committed. You haven't signed anything. You've paid a booking deposit, but it's fully refundable. So, yeah. you know, you can fire away. At that stage, you can get a solicitor because the estate agents, to say, will be asking you who's acting for you. And is that much the same then in the case of um, transferring land into your name? It's the same sort of process? That the it's the same sort of process. So yeah, there's very yeah. little that the couples actually need to get ready in terms of meeting the solicitor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. photo ID, basically. We need, we need anti-money laundering documentation on our files, and that includes, as I say, a photo ID and yeah. a household bill, you know. Okay. That's just to make sure that you're not uh, um, money laundering. Um. What is the role of a solicitor in terms of the self-build project after the land has been done? Is there any other roles for a solicitor in that process? There is, yeah. The solicitor sends in the stage payment certificates and makes the requests for payment at the various stage payments. The likelihood is there's going to be three or four stage payments. From the bank to the... Uh, from the bank yeah. to me and I give it to the client and the client then gives it to the builder or whoever. The supervising architect will issue the stage payment certificates. There's a particular type or form that has to be used. They'll send it in here along with a copy of their 
professional indemnity insurance. And can any solicitor do this job, or is there only certain solicitors that would would deal with that sort of process in terms of? Well, any banks? solicitor can do it, provided the solicitor is giving the undertaking to the bank. Remember, they're giving a solicitor's undertaking to the bank to get good title. So it's in our interest then that the stage payment certificates, you know, are correct and in order. But that there is a supervising architect on the job. You know what I mean? Um, because one of the things that can go pear shaped, quite frankly, in a self-built situation is the couple can get carried away and they can ignore one of the conditions of the planning commission. And one of the conditions of the planning commission will be that the local authority must get a contribution of, say, yeah. 15 or 20 grand. Yeah. The next thing is, like, you know, uh, they're buying furniture for the house, the whole thing is finished and they forgot about the county council. Yeah. The problem there is that uh, strictly speaking, the planning permission has not been complied with. Yep. And if the planning permission has not been complied with, then the solicitor is in a difficult situation because he's given an undertaking to the bank to get good title, etc. And the bank may turn around and say, how in the name of Jesus uh, you know, is this good title if we repossess and the Kildare County Council come along and tell us we want 15 grand off you? Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So there's a bit of to and fro in there. I would recommend that uh, young couples either A, pay the local authority or B, uh, contact them um, and enter into some sort of an arrangement. A lot of county councils, quite frankly, especially with young people, are reasonable and they'll allow them to pay off the few bob over a while, over a period of time. Yeah. Now you might say the services suck and what the hell does Kildare County Council or me County Council or anybody else do, but bottom line is someone has to maintain the roads and this sort of thing. So that's what they say, you know what I mean, the service is for. So financial contribution, it'll be in the planning commission. Terry, um, if a couple are acquiring land, and let's say it's himself and it's his himself's family's land, and yeah. he, it's in his name, yeah. um, how does that work with regards to the mortgage if the couple are going for the mortgage? In both yeah, there names? is tax implications there, and it's a little bit difficult. What would you the advise The problem there? there is, I advise, that, well, firstly, um, I can't give marital advice, but from a tax perspective, it makes sense that, firstly, the property would be transferred to him. He has no tax implications. Uh, gift tax is not really going to be an issue. Then, uh, but should he then go to you and get it in both of their name? Uh, he won't get it in both names because if he does, then um, either he's transferring it to his girlfriend or partner or whoever or his yeah. partner. Uh, so if it's not a spouse, then there's a gift implication there. But ideally, what they should do is. Um, get married and then transfer from him to her. And what about at the very start when he's receiving the land from the parent or the grandparent? Would it be better for the parent or grandparent to put it in both their name then? No, because there's a tax implication. Okay. Remember, uh, he is not a stranger in blood. He's a grandchild or a child. Yeah. But she, she is a stranger in blood. So yeah. there's tax implications for her because ah. her allowance from a gift, in respect of a gift from, say, his grandparent or parent, it would be Mickey Mouse. Could be seven and a half grand or something. Can't remember off the top of my head, but it's very small. So she'll have a tax implication. You can avoid that if the, he takes the property in his name first. Then, uh, it ultimately, when they get married, it's transferred into joint names. Now, you will have a situation there where the property is in his sole name and the mortgage is going to be in two names because they're going to need the two. Uh, again, you're going to have a situation there where the bank would be very much aware of that, but she may well need independent legal advice in that. She's signing up for a mortgage for say 300 grand in relation to a property and she's not on title yet. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But and how does that work then, Terry, if God forbid everything goes pear-shaped and the couple end up falling out or whatever? It can get messy. Yeah. Uh, it can get messy. Uh, it wouldn't happen too often, but it can get messy. And um, 
you know, strictly speaking, I mean, she, obviously she's going to be claiming the, uh, that she has an interest and correctly has an interest in the property, yeah. notwithstanding the fact that they weren't married, etc., etc. And she'll be claiming for an interest in respect of her contribution and paying the mortgage and so on and so forth. But, you know, I've never seen, haven't seen it happening. That's not to say it couldn't happen now. And, and so what should couples do then to protect themselves from that scenario? Like, say, say the, the female in that, in that scenario, what could she do to protect herself? They need to make nice with each other. <laughs> get married, get the ring in the get finger. Get married, get the ring in the finger, and then then have the row if you want to. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, okay, divorce is going to cost you a few bob as well, but at least you don't. Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 I haven't yeah. seen it happening, but I mean, strictly speaking, it's either that or she takes it on the chin at the outset. And, and she's, pays the tax. Exactly, pays yeah. the tax. She's getting a gift from a complete stranger, his grandfather or his parents, but it is a gift because, you know, there's no relationship yet. Um, and she will have to pay a few bob tax, perhaps. Now, maybe the value of the site will be small enough anyway, so... The tax on that could be quite low. It could be quite low. Yeah. But I have seen most of them, to be honest with you, um, taking it in one, in, in, in a sole name, and then afterwards, when they get married, etc., coming back and transferring it then into joint names. But as you say, like, things can go pear-shaped, and, you know, sometimes things don't work out. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's really interesting, because I think land is a big thing that we were getting asked of yeah. online in terms of what's the best way to do it, so that's really good. Yeah, well, just from a, from a tax point of view, the, the best way to do it is into his name first, uh, presuming that he's getting a gift from a parent or grandparent, and then afterwards, uh, and remember... After the marriage has taken After place. the marriage, because between spouses, there's no tax implications, yeah. there's no difficulty. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the constitution is founded on family, etc., and marriage... Uh, the, you know, marital status, etc., etc., and uh, that's encouraged. So there's no tax implications from him uh, transferring an interest in a 300 grand house to her if she's the wife. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah that no would difference. make total sense. Yeah. yeah. Terry, um, in one of your videos online, you mentioned to be aware of certain services when buying an old bungalow in the countryside. Yeah, well, the countryside, I mean, there's three things you really need to watch for. A, is the road abutting the property? in charge of the local authority. What does that mean? It means that, you know, anybody can travel up and down the road. It's just a side road. The local authority is in charge. You'll see lads out during the summer filling in the pot potholes. If that's the case, it's in charge of the local authority. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because yeah. you have a legal entitlement and everybody has to go up and down the road. And what about if it's a little laneway? If it's a laneway, that's a different ballgame because that could be a private laneway uh, crossing one or two or three folios belonging to local farmers or whatever. And for years, perhaps, there was a right-of-way exercise there. But if you come into the place and you're a complete stranger, etc., and you're going to carry out all sorts of uh, renovations or you have a fallen out with somebody, the next thing is someone could be saying, you've no right away coming down my lane, you know, that crosses two or three. So you need to be, the road abutting the property must be, you must have legal access to the property. Because if you don't, there's a possibility that it's legally landlocked. Do you understand? And how can couples find that out or how can they protect oh, well, That's part of the job that the solicitor would do. Okay, yeah, sorry, one yeah. of the things they would be doing, uh, how do we have legal access? If we don't have legal access or if there is, the road is not in charge of the local authority, then is there a right of way? Yeah. If there's a right of way, show it to me. Is it registered on the folio? Great. We're off to the races. Happy days. Absolutely. Yeah. But you want something. You don't want, you know, oh, Jesus, there's no problem there. Yeah. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith there, they're grand and, and they're the best in the world or whatever because, yeah. you know, when, when the crap hits the crapola, as it were, you know what I mean, then you can be a difficulty. The other two things you need to look at in respect of uh, rural property, sewerage and water. How is the sewerage dealt with? Is there a septic tank? Is there planning information for it? Is it a biocycle system? Is it in good repair? And what if it's an old house? Say well, that's the thing. 40s. It could be an old one, yeah. And the septic tank could be falling into disrepair. And what's the, 
what's the case? Well, you may well need to get planning permission for a new one. Now, okay. if it's a replacement one, it mightn't be a problem, but it could cost you a few bob. But yeah. you do need to make sure that uh, an architect or an engineer will tell you that this ground is actually suitable and able to take, etc., etc. Now, the more modern EnviroCycle or BioCycle units and so on are capable, I think, of operating in a smaller space okay. and just in terms of percolation area and so on. But that's something you want to watch. And the third thing is water. So they're the holy trinity. And tell I me see about it. water. What do you mean by that? Well, how is the service as to water? I'm dealing with a property at the moment there, and we're told like there's no water, no sewage. Like that's it, take it or leave it. Now my client, as it happens, is probably going to take it. But you need to be aware of that. So is there a well? Do you have to bore a well? Is there mains water? Or is the mains water just outside there? And is it easy to tap into it? And it won't be a problem. That's great. But you need to be careful. Just and just to be aware of that from the early early set. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Sewerage, water, abutting road. And after that, then, it's the physical uh, characteristics and the physical uh, shape, as it were, uh, condition of the property. And would you walk away from a house that, say, had a right-of-way issue or had a huge septic tank issue? Would that be a big red flag for you for a couple? It would be, yeah. But now, into money pit. That's yeah. not to say that, you know, problems can't be uh, solved. Yeah. Uh, they, or they can be solved, no problem. But yeah. you do need to be careful. You know, yeah, yeah. We did walk away from one there before Christmas where uh, there was probably, or there may well have been a right-of-way issue. And we flagged it up and we said to the vendor, look, there is a right-of-way issue here. Our client is concerned about this. You need to sort this out. Now, they didn't sort it out. They say, no, it's yeah. a matter for the purchaser. And we said, okay, we're gone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the handiest and thing... And you could have dodged one there. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's handier for the vendor to sort it out because remember, they can do the statute declaration that they've been using it for the last 20 bloody years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I'm coming into the place with my client who's a stranger to the place. Yeah. He can't do a statute declaration. He doesn't know his arse from his elbow, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. You know? Property market at the moment in Ireland, it's on everybody's tongues. Everybody's talking about it. I'm, I know you're big into your property. Is now a good time to buy a house? That, Peter, I think is the wrong question to ask. The question you should be asking is, should I buy a house? Or should I buy shares? Or should I, you know what I mean? In other words, it's not when uh, you should buy a house. I think it's if you should buy a house. In other words, is a house right for me? So if you are a young man or a young woman and you're going to rear a family, you're going to live in a place uh, and you're going to you know, rear a family for years, you have a half-decent job, uh, you obviously need somewhere to live. So it's probably a good idea for you to buy a house and there's a lot of advantages to it. For example, you can use the power of leverage, you can, uh, it's a hedge against inflation and the debt that you're going to pay off is reducing in real terms because of inflation. But timing your entry into any market is impossible because yeah. nobody can predict the future. Yeah. And even the wisest investors will tell you you can't forecast interest rates, inflation or the property market or the stock market. All you know is that over time there probably will be increases. But the bottom line is it's not a question of when, it's a question of if. Is it right for you? Yeah. And it may well be right for you, as I say, but it will depend on your circumstances. So I wouldn't be put off at the moment. If I need a house, I need a house because, you know, nobody's going to come to me in a month's time and say, what's the value of your house now? I'm going to live in the house for 10, 15, 20 yeah. years. I'm going to rear a family. It might up, it might go exactly, down. It might go up down. In it. Exactly, yeah. it makes no difference. I have somewhere to live. Uh, there's tax advantages and uh, I'm not paying rent. And over the long haul, it's probably going to be worth a lot more than, you know, I paid for it. And, you know, that's, that's the way I would look at it. So, as I say, timing your entry into the market, I think that's for, for, for people who, who think, you know, they, they know more than they do. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough to time it perfectly. So I ask myself the question, do I want to buy these shares or do I want to buy a house? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
and yeah, what's, really like what's right attitude. for me yeah. and, and then your mental attitude as well is important you know yeah on the complete flip side of that coin you're probably gonna give me a very similar answer is now a good time to sell a house well, probably the same thing applies. I mean, it doesn't. Like, it may well be, but it depends on your circumstances. Now, you know, it is a good time to sell if you're living in a three thousand square foot house and there's six <laughs> bedrooms <laughs> and your kids are all flown, the freaking coop, yeah. and they can't stand you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it might make sense, and you might get a tidy little place, etc. So it's up to yourself. Again, personal circumstances. Yeah. You know, so. How do solicitors calculate fees for the various land and registration? Um, calculations is it a percentage of the sale price it would be linked to a little extent or to a certain extent to the the price and the reason for that is this if i'm acting in a property which is valued at 100 grand or i'm acting in relation to a property that's worth say 500 grand the work i'm going to do for both is going to be pretty much the same yeah however if the thing goes wrong the professional indemnity claim against me is going to be of significantly different. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, one is a hundred grand claim and the other is a half a million claim. So to a certain extent for the half a million euro house, I'm going to charge more simply because I'm going to factor in the insurance situation there a little bit. In other words, I'll be attributing a little bit of my fee to the insurance, the increased insurance risk and the insurance and the increased risk of the thing going bloody wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So there will be some, some element of that. You know, strictly speaking, you know, the work would be pretty much the same, you know. Solicitors are a part of life. They're part of everybody's life at some stage. Um, for couples that don't have the family solicitor or maybe new to an area and are looking to get a new solicitor and that they're not getting Terry Gorey, mm. what should they be looking out for when they're getting a solicitor? Should they be getting recommendations? Should they be talking to the people? Well, I suppose recommendation, yeah, a recommendation would be a good, a good uh, thing because obviously a recommendation from somebody that they know and so on would be useful. I mean, but say, Terry, the, the local fellow like yourself in the town, is he just as good as the big branch in Dublin where there's 100 solicitors working under the same heading? Well, he could well be, and he could well give more time and care and attention to the client because, you know, he may be a one-man or one-woman band and really, you know, look after his clients, etc. And we'll have the same qualification and we'll have the insurance and so on, so there should be no difficulty there. Uh, and the likelihood is you will probably get more attention from a small one-man band or one-woman band. Uh, you'd be looking, I think, uh, on a personal level, to be able to relate, as it were, on a personal basis to the person. I think you'll be looking at how uh, responsive they are to your queries and your questions and et cetera, et cetera, and, and uh, you know, how quickly they respond to phone calls or emails or whatever, um, and recommendations, obviously, as well, you know. What are some red flags for you if you were looking at a solicitor? What would be a big turn-off? Well, I suppose um, a solicitor who wouldn't return calls or not return emails, you know what I mean? Like, the very least the client is entitled to is a bloody response, you know what I mean? You mightn't like the response, and you mightn't like what I have to say, but by Jesus, I'll come back and tell you, you know what I mean? That's a non-runner, or that's a good thing, or whatever. But you will get a response. As I say, you mightn't like it, but Jesus, the very least we can do is respond to the client, you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, not getting calls returned, etc. that's nonsense, you know, in my view. Can a solicitor help me claim back stamp duty? You can in certain circumstances, yeah. There is a particular situation there, I think, where you have um, carried out a certain amount of work, I'm not sure what percentage now off the top of my head, on a new build. You've got a site or you've bought a site or you've received a site and you've started building and um, you've done some groundworks, I think. You might have put in foundations, etc. 
um, and that may be reflected in, or you may have paid stamp duty at that point or something, then there is a possibility of, of getting a reclaim of a stamp duty, yeah. And how do you go through that process? I can't remember exactly, to be honest okay, with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it can be done, is what you're saying, yeah? It can be it's done, yeah, I have one there at the moment. Um, in fact, I had one a few years ago there. It doesn't happen too often, but um, yeah, I think, I can't remember off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Know. Are there common mistakes that you see couples make in, in that regard, in terms of when they are nearing completion, when the house is nearly finished, is there mistakes there that you see happening quite often? No, no, I've only come across that once, and that was an exceptional situation. That claim now in relation to rec recovering uh, stamp duty paid, etc., is a very, very unique situation where I think once they have a certain percentage of work done on a new build, for example, if they can show when the house was uh, transferred, uh, or when the site rather was transferred from, say, parent to daughter or son, that they've maybe uh, done perhaps 25% of the work on, on the house, etc. I think in those situations, a limited situation like that, you can get some reclaim on the, van on the stamp duty. Okay, cool. But, uh, you know, in your ordinary house, new build, um, you can't turn around at the end and get stamp duty back. It doesn't happen. You pay stamp duty on the site value, remember, at the outset. You're not paying stamp duty on the cost of construction. So the house could cost like 400 grand to build, but you're not paying any stamp duty on that. You needn't worry about that, you know. But the stamp duty would have been paid at the start. And that's exactly, right. but yeah. only on the site. And the site's worth, you know, 30 grand, 50 grand and or then, whatever. And, and then why would a couple be claiming that back? Well, as I say, if they had started work and they had um, done a certain amount of work themselves from their own resources and put in foundations and put in footings and perhaps even poured the floor, and the next thing is then... At only only at that point is the tra site transferred from the parents say, to the daughter because they never got around to it. At that stage, I think there's an element of being able to claim back, ah. uh, and it may be in respect of the residential aspect of it rather than uh, paying the non-residential at seven and a half percent. It may be that I've only come across it once, to be honest with you, in the last like I think ten years. Okay, uh, in, it's, it's an exceptional situation, but wouldn't apply to your normal. A new build, you know, so all you're paying on the new build is stamp duty on the site at the outset, you know. Um, how early should I be talking to a solicitor in that process or in, in any home building, home buying, land, land transferring process? Well, I mean, when you're going to get the land transferred to you, you need a solicitor at that stage, you know what I mean? And, and there'd be no harm to contact them then uh, and uh, both solicitors then, the transferor solicitor and the transferee solicitor will communicate and they'll just agree on whatever site is being transferred, etc. Obviously, one of the parties has to draft up uh, the plan of, of the site that's going to be transferred, but it's relatively straightforward at that stage, you know. Um, for couples that self-build a house and they have not gone with a builder contractor, that they've done the work themselves to to an, a certain degree. In years to come, when they go to sell the house, is there any implications because they self-built and there wasn't a contractor-led build? The contract, the yeah, no, the contract, the property itself. The contract um, with the builder or contractor is immaterial. What's important is the supervising architect and the certificates of compliance. And the problem is if they do the work themselves and it wasn't supervised, nobody will issue a certificate of compliance with, say, building regulations because no architect actually saw what went on or what went into the cavity walls and so on. Or, you know what I mean? So there could be a problem there. Uh, so you can dispense, if you like, with the uh, builder. You can go direct labour if you want. You can do the subcontracting, get an architect, get a surveyor, because sur like that, that, that stuff is absolutely vital. And a solicitor, in five years' time, ten years' time, what can he do? He'll yeah. be look, you know, but he'll be looking at the planning documents. Because when we issue contracts, 
we're told that you know there's uh, three or four essential uh, or, uh, documents we need to issue, and planning will be right up there. You know, um, on houses in the countryside where the the land might be beside neighbours that people don't know or people don't get on with too well, but there might have been grievances in the past. Is there anything to be aware of there if the land is in your name? Should they be checking the perimeters and boundaries and all that sort of stuff before they go bidding on it to make sure that there's no... Well, they could, I suppose, yeah. They could check that there's no issues in relation to boundaries and they could check that the boundaries on the ground actually correspond with the boundaries on the folio or file plan. Now, some surveyors will do that for you, some won't. And if you think that might be an issue, you should ask the surveyor at the outset, can they do that? Because if they can't, then they mightn't be the surveyor for you. And there is a surveyor, I know him out the road here, and he actually does this geospatial surveying. Uh, he has the equipment and he can tell us, you know what I mean, it's three feet one way down at the corner, that freaking site, uh, it's out. Um, he can tell us that. Because and what is he the can scenario superimpose. if there is a discrepancy? You can do a deed of rectification with the land registry. Okay. But obviously, you know, in order to agree it, um, you probably need to talk to the neighbour, but there mightn't be any difficulty. All you're doing between you and the neighbour is uh, having the plan perhaps altered just to reflect the reality on the ground. Yeah. Or else now there's a haymaker of a row going to start saying, look, what, you planted those bloody trees on my side, uh, get them back. You know what yeah. I mean? Then you have a row, but look, what, uh, I suppose it's no harm to... Uh, have that flagged up at the outset if you think it might be a problem, you know. Yeah, yeah, especially if they're not people you know, <coughs> or especially if, if you do think that the land is, is wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be uh, hard to know now, and it'd be hard to figure out beforehand. And you know, like you will have nasty neighbours anywhere, and that can happen, and it's just unfortunate. And, and would you recommend the couples do that before they um, take the site from the grandparents or whatever that they do that sort of survey? Uh, well, site from the grandparents should be okay because generally a grandparent would be the land would probably exactly be they'll be carving yeah. it out of their own site, so there shouldn't yeah. be any problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. So generally that'll be okay there. Um, it wouldn't wouldn't have the same problem as you might have with buying a house, you know, in a strange environment or whatever yourself, you know. And if they were buying a site, site or are requiring a site in a strange environment where they didn't know the neighbours, would you recommend that then? Yeah, it would be no harm just to check the boundaries. It'd be no harm always to have the boundaries checked. And generally, I, you know, if I was instructing a surveyor, I'd ask them to check the boundaries. But some of them would say, well, you know, we can do it all right, but uh, it mightn't be 100% accurate or whatever. But as I say, some of them now have the, you know, this satellite thing. Yeah. You know where you can send a combine harvesters or whatever, like, uh, you know, plowing around the fields at night or whatever, you, whatever they do. Yeah. So I'd hear them at home there. Uh, I mean, a lot of them are operating off the satellite, uh, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, so you can do the same thing with, with surveying land and surveying uh, fences and so on, you know. And be conscious of it. Terry, we're nearly talking for 45 minutes, so I'm going to stop talking to you. But Good stuff. I really, really, really appreciate your time. I think that a solicitor is such an important role in everybody's life. And to, to have somebody just straight talk it and to have no bullshit and to say it how it is, is really, really appreciated because there can be a lot of legal jargon in yeah, this, they can in this be, area. Yeah, there can be. Yeah, so absolutely. to have someone like yourself just come on is really good. If people want to find you or to get in touch with you, Terry, where's the best place to do that? The best place is probably just through my website, businessandlegal.ie, or else you have to just Google my name, Terry Gorry, G-O-R-Y. There's plenty of stuff online there. I have a YouTube channel as well, but probably my website, or you know what I mean, they'll get my uh, contact details there, email and so on. You Perfect. Know? I'll pop that on the low. Anyway. Yeah, so, Terry, stuff. thank you very much. All right, much. Peter, good man. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Don't forget that you can also check out Terry online. Um, just Google Terry Gorey. Um, I'll also post his details in the description box below anyways. Thanks so much, everyone, and see you all next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.